Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is a rapid fire edition. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means. We're in the midst of spring football. It started, they're taking a week off. We are right on the cusp of the NCAA tournament. Ohio State opens play Friday against Loyola. And it's always nonsense season here on Buckeye Talks. So we're going to get to a little bit of that, too. A nice, good batch of questions from our tech subscribers, 614-350-3315. If you are not in that group yet, we are going to start off with football. This is from the 519. Who would you say right now is the best player on this Ohio State defense? Alternatively, who do you think will be the best player on this defense by the end of the year? Right now, it's probably Zach Harrison or... Denzel Burke, but JT, or sorry, JT Tui Malowau, Jack Sawyer, maybe a defensive back has potential to take that spot. That is our Texter's opinion. Who would you guys say right now is the best Ohio State defensive player and who will it be at the end of the season? What a question. God, it's great. God, it's a great question. But what a strange thing to not really have a clear answer for the now. I'm curious to see who we say is the later guy. Cause I have my later guy. I'm not sure about my now guy. And I I'm, I'm doing this raw. I like sometimes I know you sent the questions out ahead of time, Nathan. I didn't look at them. Sometimes I just like, I didn't either. I just so. like throwing my body into the mosh pit of the textures. And I think of the one time I was at a, went to a spin doctors concert. You guys ever been to a spin doctors? Steven, ever been to a spin doctors I'm I'm little well baby. aware of the spin doctors. I'm I'm not sure I associate them with mosh pits. Little like I can imagine like little baby Steven. It'd be like, hey, little eight, why is this 18 month old at the spin doctors concert? But I went to one when I was in college in Chicago and I lived with this guy who I didn't really like that much. But he like sort of like threw himself up um into the into the mosh pit to try to get people to lift him up. And then like one person had him and they passed him to the second person. And the second person was like, I'm not that into this. And they just dropped him to the ground. <laughs> and that's my mosh pit experience. Steven, hold on. Steven, did you just Google spin doctors? You saw me do that? Yes. Yes. Does that look like a band that you would ever go see or be that you're surprised that Doug went to go see? Um, 
I think both. All of the above, I think. I've, you know, I've known Doug now for three and a half years. It's not a Disney band, so that's like completely out of left field for him. <laughs> and just looking, I didn't even click on images. I just, you know, when you Google something and it shows you like those four or five pictures on the side, mm-hmm. I just went off that and goes, yeah, that it makes sense why I have no idea who these people are. I got a pocket full of kryptonite. I got a pocket full of. So uh, that, album, that, that album's actually, that's a pretty good album. There's some bangers on that album. That came out like I was like a freshman in college. So that, yeah. that was a big, uh, I'm, I'm right in the spin doctor zone for their 16 months of relevance. Yeah. So I guess is my answer right now. See, the thing that I'm tempted about is I'm tempted to make my later answer, my now answer. But is my now answer Zach Harrison? Is it? it would be fascinating if we had if I had sent a poll out after getting this question to, to get every texter's answer. I think it probably is Zach Harrison right now. But the way I'm answering that, again, speaks to the point you were making as why are we answering that with that inflection in our voice? But I think it, I think it's probably Zach Harrison. Stephen, who would you pick? You know what the problem is? We don't know the answer. And it's not a good thing that we don't know the answer. Like, cause there's a way, there is a world where we could not know the answer and it could right. be a good thing because there's like yeah. four or five legitimate candidates, which might be the case at the, at the, which is the later answer. Like it could be four or five different people. Um, I guess it's Zach Harrison. I might throw, I mean, Ronnie Hickman was probably their most consistent yeah. player. Yeah. He had a hundred tackles last year. Yeah. Um, so if you want to go off raw stats, it's probably Ronnie Hickman. But if you want to go off PFF grade and then like the overall impact they can have on the game just because of the position they play, then sure, it's Zach Harrison. I'm not happy about either answer, though, which is the point of this entire exercise right now. I mean, they're not terrible. They're good. They have, no, they have just... multiple good players. I don't know that we think they have a great player on the defense right now. Denzel Burke used... is good. But... Yeah. You're used to the best defensive player on Ohio State's team being a potential top 10 NFL draft pick and coming into the season as a guy who is already on the radar as that. And that's not yeah. been the case for a couple of years. I think that's a good way to put it, because I think the answer to who I think might be the best defensive player at the end of the season, those kinds of players might be top half of the first round NFL draft picks, mm-hmm. but not yes. the end, not next year. We're talking about two years right. from now. Right. Because I think my later answer is JT Tumaloa. It's mine. It's definitely. I mean, that guy did what he did and he showed up four weeks before the season started. So what happens when Larry Johnson gets his hands on him starting in January instead? And what if Ohio State's seven best defensive players by November are Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, JT Tuimaloau, Tyleek Williams, Court Williams, uh, Jordan Hancock, and Josh Proctor. You know what I mean? And Denzel Burke. You know, like that, that, that. But how could, well, it's not Josh Proctor yet. He's coming off an injury. We don't know. It's not Jordan Hancock yet, right? It's none of the linebackers yet. I don't know who's going to pop a linebacker. There's, what if it's Cody Simon? That's why there's, there's candidates for later, but they're not here yet. Proctor's the interesting one because I think if Proctor had kept playing last year and put together a full season of what he looked like he was starting to do through game and a half, he might be our answer now, except he wouldn't be our answer now because he'd be in the NFL. 
or about to be in the NFL, probably. That's probably true. And also, mm-hmm. right now, as it stands, it's like, well, who are the safeties? Like, are Court Williams and Ronnie? I mean, I wrote a whole safety thing. Boy, Jim Knowles seemed excited about playing Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams together, and I'm not exactly sure what that means for Josh Proctor if that happens, and we've talked about that on this podcast. Josh Proctor's going to have a role, but there's a lot we don't know. I mean, they just probably rotate three guys through those two spots if it's that interchangeable. Yeah. But, yeah, to the point of, I mean, it's pro- you're right. It probably – there's a world where Josh Proctor does what he's supposed to do, what he had started to do, and then he's like a second or third round pick. So I think that and that question from the 519 leads into this one from the 561. Whatever, anything else we want to say can probably still be answered after this next question, which is, after listening to the Jim Knowles interview excerpts and based on his track record with the talent on this defense compared to what he has done with way less in the past, how is this defense not top 10? If the OSU is a top 10 defense, is there any way OSU is not in the championship game? Well, 561, if that is your real name, uh, the way that they are not a top 10 defense is the answer we gave to the first question, which is do they have any truly great players on this defense right now? Like, do they have Knowles's scheme and talent are, are two different things. The one thing I will say what happened at Oklahoma state this past season, and it's been a steady climb through his four years at Oklahoma state, they were like a hundred and something. When he came in, they were third or fourth in the nation in defensive efficiency, or I think just total defense uh, last season. And the thing that he had last year was not five-star recruits by any means. In fact, it was a lot of like three-star recruits, but it was like fourth and fifth year guys. It was a ton of experienced guys who had like lived in that system for a while. So now you've got a combination of a change in scheme and a, in an unsettled concept of what is here talent wise. So I think the, the, the range of possible results for this defense from in my mind are still really wide going into this season. Top 10 is really tough to, to bust into the top 10. Like the, you know, yeah. If you've got the chase youngs, the Jeff Okudas, all that talent that was mashed into the 2019 team, uh, you can't not be the best defense in the country. But you have to take quite a jump, I think, over what they had last year. And I don't know if it's just going to be scheme. They've got to – I'm not saying that the players aren't there, but I think they have to find a way to attack with the talent that they have that last year's coaching staff did not find a way to do that. And to be honest, they don't have to be a top-10 defense in the country to win a national championship. This offense is that's great. True. They can be top – That and so that if that's the way we're looking at it, then we're not thinking about can this defense be top-10, even if we, eight months from now they might be a top-10 defense, but it doesn't matter. If they're a top-30 defense with what this offense is, they can win a national championship doing that. But I think the bigger issue is there's not a third-year defensive guy who did enough, even on a bad defense in his second year, first year in a real role – that you feel like is going to be in takeoff mode. And that's what it 29 take away. Just take chase off the field for a second. It's because we know that even Jeff Okuda, what he did in the Rose bowl. And then it, you know, it ended up translating into his third year. If you look at this 2020 recruiting class, it's a really, really good recruiting class. Offensively, the highest rated defensive guy is Cody Simon. He's actually the only top 100 recruit on the defensive side of the ball for 2020 in that 2020 class, which was part of the problem with Ohio State's recruiting is it was really good, but it was one sided the first couple of years there where it was a lot of great offensive talent, but not enough defensive talent. This 2022 class is the most balanced they've been. And so there's not 
even last year, as bad as the 2019 recruiting class was, Zach Harrison was clearly the defensive player who looked ready to take a jump, at least the way they were talking about them. It's not necessarily the same concept with Cody Simon, especially since he's not 100% healthy going into this spring. Because after that, it's Darion Henry Young, who's now at Kentucky, Jacoby Cowan, who missed his entire first year because of COVID and he was hurt and then hasn't really had a role. And then we're putting a lot on Court Williams to finally break through here. Yeah, Simon's the closest one to what you're talking about, the like true third-year guy who could have some kind of a breakthrough. And maybe the injury held him back enough last year that we didn't see what he can do, but we'll find out. I don't have any questions about Jim Knowles, but as we talk about the leap that his defense might make while employing a bunch of five-star recruits, which he's never had before, I think part of that equation also is he was at Duke and Oklahoma State. And no offense to those programs, but just just for factual record, this was Oklahoma State's schedule last year. Missouri State, Tulsa, Boise State, Kansas State, Baylor, Texas, Iowa State, Kansas, West Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor. Now, there was a time, right, when the Big 12 just chucked it around. It's like, oh, cool, you play in the Big 12, what'd you play? Five quarterbacks who each averaged 500 yards passing. Baylor's a defense first team now. Texas is non-functional a lot of ways. Iowa State had some decent offensive players. Iowa State also beat Oklahoma State last year. Um, Oklahoma was playing Caleb Williams as a freshman late in the year in that game, and Oklahoma Oklahoma State had to outscore him to win that game, 37 to 33. Also, it's not like the Big Ten is the land of NFL quarterbacks, but you got to have a defensive plan for Wisconsin and Iowa and how they play. Michigan's got some players. Michigan State will run some guys out sometime. Notre Dame's going to have some talented guys. Penn State, if Sean Clifford's healthy or if Drew Aller's in there, Parker Washington, a better running game. Jim Knowles is also going to be facing better competition while he also has better players. So I'm not doubting him, but I'm just saying that. So I do think their defense will be very good. I think Steven's point of, hey, they don't have to be a top 10 defense to be a national championship caliber team. I agree with that. I also agree with what the texter said. If they have a top 10 defense, they should, they'll probably win the national title. I mean, honestly, unless you have a goofy thing, unless you have a goofy Iowa day or Purdue day or whatever, right? Or unless Bryce Young gets you in the semifinal and just tears you apart and your defensive ranking is still pretty high. But with this, what this offense is going to be, if Jim Knowles is good, and I think he'll be good, then they're in the playoffs that there's uh, that's just math, right? Good offense plus improved defense equals playoff. If you're Ohio state this year. And I don't think you wouldn't even have to be talking top 10. I mean, top 20, yeah. top 25, yeah. 30. I mean, it, but if it would be top 10, as a text, you said, if it's top 10, yeah. Ohio state it's top 10, then might yeah. look like 2019 LSU. It's like, Oh, are they beating right. everybody by 30? Which also didn't have a top 10 defense, but still. True. But they had a lot of good defensive players. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, I, I know I, I wanted to say one more Josh Proctor thing while we were on the point of Josh Proctor, just because I double checked it and looked it up. Going into last season, Ohio State had a fourth year top 100 recruit at safety from Oklahoma, and Michigan had a third year top 25 national recruit at safety from Oklahoma. And I think Dax Hill's season went as good as it could have gone. And Josh Proctor's went as bad as it could have gone because he broke his leg early. And the result is Dax Hill's 
maybe going to get taken in the first round and Josh Proctor's back and run that back a bunch of different times. And I think you get some different results. I'm not saying he's Dax Hill because Dax Hill was a little higher rated. I think might be slightly more athletically gifted, but they were on a similar plane and then it diverged in a crazy way. If you're trying to think, Hey, what Josh, what Josh Proctor might've been and still could be. I think that's a really good point. I, he's still to me, just, such an intriguing player for Ohio state this year to find out, you know, how does he bounce back? And then where does he fit in with the way Jim Knowles runs this defense? Do they, do they rotate three guys there? Do two guys win out? I'm, I'm really fascinated by how that's going to play out. And I don't think we're going to know that by April 16th, but April 16th will be fun to watch because if all three of those guys are out there moving over to the other side of the ball, do you think the offense, this is from the 804. Do you think the offense can cure last year's red zone problems? It seemed to me last year the Bucks were too predictable when needing a couple of yards. Opponents knew exactly that Henderson was getting the ball and going right or left. The D would throw guys into the gaps and there was no hole. How can they change this when opponents know C.J. Stroud won't run and there's only one tailback? I think that's maybe a good question too because we've spring becomes a time where you start thinking so much in terms of who is going where, who's going to play, who's winning a job, et cetera, et cetera. And does that fix the job? Does that fix a problem alone? Or is there more to it than that? Because if, if maybe the talent is not going to be that different in that situation, those kind of red zone situations, short yarded situations, the talent isn't going to be much different than what Ohio state was putting on the field last year, a couple of different offensive linemen, but probably not a significantly different offensive line than what played last year. I think having guards actually playing guard is going to help because Donovan Jackson's a mauler and Matthew Jones was actually one of their more consistent offensive linemen, even if it was in these more, you know, rotational snaps. So that's going to help Luke Whipler second year starter. That's going to help. He's going to be stronger. Travion Henderson, he's stronger and probably going to be a little bit more explosive. So yeah, that, that stuff will help. Um, The CJ Stroud running element of that question is overblown. He actually, I mean, they're not going to run the quarterback here. They're not running QB power anymore here in short yardage situations, and they're not really running read options like that. It's not about whether or not he's going to keep it in a read option. They just don't run that stuff anymore. He's going to either hand it off to Trayvon Henderson or he's going to pull it and he's going to rip a throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. for a goal line fade that's probably going to be a touchdown. The running element of this, he actually ran in scramble situations a lot more than people give him credit for. I've gone back and watched a lot of these games multiple times, but that's – him not running isn't why the red zone issues were a thing. They were a problem because the offensive line didn't get the push it needed at times. And Travion Henderson was an 18 year old kid who hadn't played football in two years. So I think, I think the offensive line point is very well taken with the guards. I think it's two things to me, primarily one is Travion running through trash, which Tony Alford just, you've got to run through those tackles in the red zone. And you've got to, we've talked about that. If you got to get two yards, you've got to get two yards. And with a year of experience and, and a year more in the weight room, I think Trevion Henderson will be more prepared to do that. I also think this is where potentially what they've talked about, what Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day talked about with putting more on CJ Stroud's plate will help things because if he's going to have more freedom at the line of scrimmage to change plays, to check the things, then you get up there and you get in, Hey, you know, this maybe was going to be a run, but I'm looking at the way the linebackers are playing and I'm going to check. I'm, we're going to throw a pass to the tight end now. Or we were going to do this thing, but I'm going to I'm going to call this jet sweep to Jackson and bring him around, and we're going to run in that way. But I think I think CJ getting them in the right play 
more often because of his experience really helps in those kind of situations. Because the middle of the field, it's like you pick your poison. You can do anything you want all the time anyway. And Ryan Day is pretty good at figuring out the right play. I think that will help them. Well, so we actually got another question that I might as well bring up now because I, I had thrown it on our list from the 954. The O-line struggled with run blocking in 2021. Which is more important for a successful 2022 run game? The new O-line coach or Ryan Day being a better run game play caller? And I think to, the answer is kind of what you, maybe you were just speaking to, Doug, that it's it's maybe being a better play caller, but also being having a second-year starter, C.J. Stroud, giving you more options and him having a different um, a different command of the offense and probably having more confidence to throw in some wrinkles that they didn't last year. That, that makes it less predictable. Yeah, I, I think the play calling matters too, though. They just got to get more – you know, creative with stuff. It can't just be inside zone, outside zone, because that's pretty, that gets pretty predictable too. And I do think bringing fresh eyes into that offensive line room will help with that. Um, the personnel will help with that, but then also just this mixing up the run game and what types of runs you want to run as an offense will help. So that, that all matters. It can't just be like the passing game is so creative while the running game is just, oh, we're bigger, stronger than everybody at the line of scrimmage. So let's just get a push and Travion hit a hole and we're out. That can't always be the case. I do think the offensive line coaching is worth talking about because we feel like they moved on from Greg Sudrawa, maybe in large part because of recruiting issues, but fresh set of eyes, fresh set of ideas, new voice in the room, new guy motivating the offensive lineman. I mean, it can be good. It can be bad, but maybe you just mix that up a little bit. And Justin Fry brings a little bit to the table and, and they get after a little bit more. But again, to, to Stephen's point, is a very good one. There's way to have variety is not just run pass balance. There's variety within the things you do. So to have a little more variety to the types of run calls they make, uh, I think will will help them. But I do think, I do think a, a decent chunk of it is Trayvon Henderson putting his nose down and doing what needs to be done, and I'm sure that he will. Probably another thing worth bringing up as it comes to the red zone discussion is the tight end situation. Those are important positions in the red zone, important positions in goal line situations, especially. And they're going to have to find some consistency from that group between now and the start of August. And they usually like to have it more than one for that role specifically, that, that, that goal line uh, close yardage stuff specifically. So we'll see what happens there. We have a lot more football to talk about here on rapid fire. We're going to talk about quarterbacks we're going to talk about those safeties we mentioned before some other questions we're also going to mix in a lot of basketball because obviously Buckeyes getting things started in the NCAA tournament on Friday this question from our buddy Dave from Bristol hey Buckeye talk I have a basketball superstition question I did a bracket last week of the group of buddies from college I named it Sister Jean lo and behold Ohio State plays Loyola in the opening round for people who don't remember Sister Jean was like the nun who became sort of almost like the mascot of Loyola when it made its final four run a couple years ago so Dave asks, did I inadvertently jinx Ohio State or maybe reverse it in some way and help them? I'm only half joking. I'm not superstitious, only a little stitious. Mm. A little Michael Scott paraphrase right there. What do you guys think? Did Dave jinx Ohio State by naming his bracket Sister Jean? Or did he preemptively exercise the demon? No, I jinxed it. Way to go, Dave. Yeah, I think it's a jinx. I think it's a jinx. Mm. It's yeah. an absolute jinx. I don't know I'm why you would... 
I don't know why. I don't know why you would potentially name your bracket something like that. It'd be like if you were having a pool about the score of the Ohio State Michigan game, and you you came up with some sneer against Michigan. You're just asking for it, aren't you? So when I'm headed home on sat- on Saturday afternoon, mm. thanks Dave from Bristol. Tell Holtman, it's Dave yeah. from Bristol's fault. I just once he started talking about Sister Jean, all I can think about, you know, I mean, you know, we're digital media now. But the, the old fashioned newspaper headlines when it's like it's the game, it's the four four page special preview of Ohio State versus Loyola and just the giant 80 point headline nut versus none. That's all I can think about now. And you'd have like a giant vertical photo of Brutus and a giant vertical photo of Sister Jean. And then you'd have like a little breakdown box, keys to the game, intangibles and like little check marks and stuff. Nut versus none. People would hang it in their in their bedroom. Not versus none. And you went and you went not N O N E and you went. Right. Right. I think you're onto something. We're going to talk more basketball when we come back from this break here on Buckeye Talk. <laughs> Nut versus none. It's happening on Friday. That was the oh. most dismissive. I think you're onto something that I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> I really wanted to get into actual basketball talk. I really wanted to take that break. <laughs> Um, I do miss those days though. I, I miss the days where you could have like the big banner, like, uh, those, those kind of headlines where it didn't have to be an SEO headline where you got to write like the, the print headline. It's a very different way of headline writing for people. Like people know, like they read our stories online and there's a reason why it says like, it's like, prefer- it's like a question or Ohio state football is always at the front of the headline. Like those are things that show up better in Google searches. So that's what you write different headlines for the internet. And I miss the days of print headlines my favorite one was uh there was a there was a women's league that started basketball league that started at the same time as the WNBA and it was called the ABL it was like just the American Basketball League or something like that and they were competing leagues at the time and the WNBA won out it's like VHS versus Betamax or whatever um which is also a very dated reference because nobody uses any of those anymore but I remember we had a headline the next day our, our copywriter was putting the story on the page and I said, your headline should be ABL stands for a bankrupt league. And that's what he used in the next day's paper. Nice. I, uh, that's a very good, that's a very good one. Remember when Ohio state lost to Dayton and Aaron crafts last game. Yep. And the headline was the university of Dayton, yep. like that kind of stuff. So, and when LeBron left and we burned him, when LeBron left at our and our sports desk ran the LeBron photo with a little thing that said no rings on his hand when he left for Miami. That was famous. That was famous. That wasn't a headline. That was a little uh, cut line, a little arrow at your finger. Yeah. Kind of mean. I have no idea, have no idea why LeBron came back here. He came back. Honestly, he came like, back. Honestly. I have no idea. If he would have been like, I would have come back, except for the freaking plain dealer, we would have had to eat that. <laughs> I don't know. That just seems like a long, it's a, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. This is a long list of reasons why it made absolutely no sense for him to come back here. But, you know. Hey, you got to follow your heart sometimes, I suppose. Or Again, you can stay very in South Beach where it's, <laughs> you can stay in <laughs> South Beach where it's warm and you can wear shorts in January. It's not like he didn't win when he came back to Cleveland. So <laughs> the heart you've got to ha- you've got to follow your heart sometimes, I suppose. That was definitely <laughs> that was definitely sarcastic. That was not meant to be heartfelt. <laughs> What advice? So how say Loyola? <laughs> Talking more basketball. This is from our buddy Seth Shaner. Did the Buckeye Talk crew get a kick out of Gene Smith retweeting and praising Doug's piece about Holtman making five consecutive NCAA tournaments? 
I guess it's clear Gene isn't a Buckeye Talk listener because Doug has, perhaps correctly, questioned the Buckeyes roster construction and performance as much as anyone in Columbus media the past few years. Have there been other times when a person in a prominent position has assumed something based on one article has a it has a real Ronald Reagan playing born in the USA against Springsteen's wishes kind of vibe? That's a great no text. That that's a means. great text question from Seth Shaner. Well, Ronald Reagan was the president, uh, uh, Stephen, in the early 80s. Of the I mean, United I know States. who he was. Bruce Springsteen uh, is a American rock musician. I know who those people are. I just don't know what the reference yeah. is. Bruce, Bruce Springsteen wrote a song, one of his very famous songs, Born in the USA. But it's a very mm-hmm. like cynical, jaded actual look about U.S. about America. Oh, yeah. The got all behind. Yeah. And okay. but then nobody, you know, Ronald Reagan's people weren't listening to the lyrics. They just thought it was a song pumping up the USA and they used it as their campaign anthem. And, and Bruce uh, shot him down. People still do that, too. People oh, it happens. That song's there. Yeah, once a year, there's a big story about some really out of touch politician doing that. Anyway, to get back to Seth's question, um, I did think that that was interesting that you but but I thought it was an example, Doug, of you um, doing what you're supposed to do, which is criticizing context. And I think the criticism is this needs to be acknowledged. Chris Holtman has accomplished this, has accomplished X. But shouldn't it be Y? Why isn't it why? And how do they get there? And if they can't get there, what does that mean for Chris Holman? Yeah, it's also an example of being able to have more than one thought in my head. True. So to everybody who like came after me and was like, people were like, oh, maybe they were kidding. But it's like, oh, did Gene call you and make you write that? Like, oh, someone called me a sellout. I was like, don't call me a sellout. Like, don't. I disagree with anything I write or say. That's great. That's the whole point of all this. Like, don't question my motives. My, I have no motives. Buckeye talk for real. I just like, I, I can barely keep it together. It's just what's in my head at the moment. But the idea that Chris Holdman hasn't been good enough needs to be better. But also being one of eight teams to make the NCAA tournament for the five years, if you do the hypothetical bracket from the COVID year, to be one of eight teams in the entire country, that is an accomplishment. And I wrote it and said, in this little window, which is the only time we talk about it, because we immediately move on to the tournament, in this window, it's worth acknowledging. But it's also not good enough. So we do have a poll question later, how many people think Chris Holtman should be fired if they lose to Loyola? Apparently, it's less than 50% think he should be fired if they lose to Loyola, but all the people who do think he should be fired are on Twitter. So they're all, and, and you, you actually have some decent points about Chris Holtman's performance. I do think it has not been good enough, but when you just scream at everybody who tries to say anything positive, you cut the legs out of your own argument. He needs to be better screaming he should be fired and ripping anybody who points out something something that's been successful you you're just hurting yourself so um yeah but i i was kind of did was like what so you know whatever jeans you know i know gene he and i've been around a long time so but also no, i sure don't write to get retweeted by the ad though that is not no, my goal no like- and, and and actually a lot of times if i see the people in power that we cover retweeting our stuff it does make me wonder like oh what did i <laughs> that's not what i want <laughs> it, I mean, it's, a balance. it's a balance you're trying to strike but anyway go ahead it, Steven. De- it, de- it depends on what the story is like sure. we're all still human beings at the end of the day and they, they are allowed to agree with us 
or things sometimes just like they're sure. allowed to disagree with us at some time so i yeah you're right. it, it depends if, if if you felt like you wrote something genuine and they just happen to agree with it then okay whatever but if it if you go back and read it and it sounds like you're just being a sounding board or adam sheftering it up then hmm. yeah then you might feel a little way about it but for the most part it's like sometimes you write stuff where the person that you wrote it about will, whether it's publicly or privately, reach out to you and go, I didn't agree with that, but I understand how you came to that point. And there's times where it's like, yes, you're 100% on mark. It's just how this works. Also, to, to, to go ahead and, and pat Doug on the back, I would say also there's a lot of people on this beat. We've talked about that before. We did a two-part podcast about how many people are on this beat and how tough it is to cover. I doubt Gene Smith reads all of them every day. So it said something to me that he took time to read that and, and say something about it. We've got some more questions here about basketball, though, and there's some on this same topic. This is from the 317, my old stomping grounds. If OSU goes one and done in the tournament, would Chris Holtman be fired if he did not have a top five recruiting class coming in? It seems to be the only thing going for him at the moment, which, again, is something I think we would disagree with to some extent. I'm torn because I think Holtman should be fired, but also know that at the same time, we would lose most of those incoming recruits, and that would set our program back even farther. Steven, I guess, what is your take on that? Do you think the is this class so good that that would preclude Ohio State from making a move, even if it sort of wanted to right now? I mean, the future is bright being the only thing that's keeping a head coach around in a college sport. I don't know if that's as big of like a, a, a knock against a college coach in anything like, you know. Tom Herman was kept around at Texas longer than maybe should have because Quinn Ewers was committed there. As soon as he lost Quinn Ewers, he lost all his leverage. Um, no, I think Chris Holtman is doing the job that he's expected to do. Uh, whether you feel like he should be doing more or not, we can get into that discussion as we probably will at some point in this pod. But no, he's done a good job. There's some you know context into why this year hasn't necessarily taken the step that we thought it was going to take that are excusable things, even if you're tired of hearing it. And the, oh, he only has a good recruiting class coming in. Well, this is what college sports are about. It's about how you develop talent, but then also how you accumulate it. And he's accumulating talent at a high level right now. So no, he's not, he's not on the hot seat. He's not even, the hot seat and he are not even in the same room right now. I do think the recruiting class matters a lot because Thad, when Thad got fired, they had missed the tournament that year. But when Darius Baisley decommitted from Ohio State and then was going to committed to Syracuse and then wound up not playing college basketball, it's like Thad got mm-hmm. fired because a kid who never played college basketball decommitted from Ohio State. It was like the last straw, right? That the recruiting matters so much. If the performance on the court isn't there and the recruiting's also not there, now you got the double whammy. Did this is. Go ahead. So didn't Gene at the time, at the time of the firing, didn't he specifically mention recruiting like that? Yes. Wasn't that? Oh, yeah. That's why I thought that it was kind of that was the number one thing on the list. And they had that class. They had the class that exploded that all the guys transferred, Mickey Mitchell yeah. and Daniel Giddens and A.J. Harris and all those guys. So that that we know what happened there. So that's not happening here. But all the things that I'm saying now and I'm saying everybody who thinks fire him now, you're way premature. You're way premature. But in a year. If it's the same, then I'll be there because it'll be year six. If it's 12 and eight in the Big Ten, five seed in the tournament, in the and Big Ten tournament, middling seed in the NCAA tournament, and lose in the first round with all those recruits, whether Branham's back or not, but with those recruits, if there's not 
a little ascension. I know they're going to be young, but this year they're old. So it's like, what do you want to be? Well, this year they're old. Oh, how'd that go? I know they're injured, but they're old. They have two pros. If it feels the same and you're stuck in neutral for a sixth season and you've let that recruiting class come through and there's not a fundamental shift in like, oh, whoa, 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 here we come. You're still having lulls late in the season. You're still losing weird games. You're still blowing leads. Then I'm then I'm not going to be saying hold on anymore because that's six years. You've got the class and we see it now, right? I mean, these guys missed the tournament. Frank Martin fired at South Carolina. Quanzo Martin followed at uh, fired at Missouri. Travis Steele and Xavier just parted ways. Um, you know, those guys didn't have as good a year as Ohio State did, but there there does come a point where it's like it's not terrible, but it's not good enough. And I think we just need to change things. Mike White at Florida, I think, is a is a not a perfect analogy, but he was maybe a year away from the hot seat at Florida and he just took the Georgia job. So that was a thing I was saying, like, ah, maybe, I don't know. Would you reach a point where it's like, they're not firing Holtman, but it's just like, eh, and he just goes, right? I just, so I'll give it one more year, but I'm not, in a year, I'm not going to be saying, well, you got to let the recruits be sophomores. No. If, if they not in basketball. The first, if they lose in the first round of the tournament and they're competing for fifth place in the Big Ten with all the, with this great recruiting class, then then all bets are off. I think you're a year early if you're there now. No, if you get a top 100 recruit in basketball, you get that recruit gets two months to figure it out. Just like I gave Malachi Bradham. I gave him two months to figure it out. And look at him now. He might be a first-round NBA draft pick. It's not like football where it's like, let's see what they look like after a year in the program and they start playing in year two. No, no, no. You get two months if you are a top 100 or a top 60 recruiting basketball to figure it out. And then you got to get going. Calipari has proven that time and time again, that these five stars and top 100 recruits get two months to figure it out. Doug, I know you said you had a uh, survey question. I want to get into the the game pick after another question that we have from a texture, but do you have the breakdown of the, the voting on the other half of it? I do. If Ohio state loses to Loyola, would you want Chris Holtman fired? Just yes or no was the only choice. What would you guys guess is the yes percentage? Yes, I want him fired. 43%. 38%. 19. Oh. So again, it's the perception, the squeaky wheels, the squeaky fire Holtman wheels. It's just louder. Like, you're allowed you're allowed to think whatever you think. Just don't call me a sellout while you're doing it. Um cuz he's still Andy Dalton. That's the thing. People are like, "You just called him Andy Dalton on a podcast." I was like, "Yeah, Andy Dalton made the playoffs five straight years." And at some point after the Bengals, who were a terrible franchise for a lot of the time before Andy Galton got there, you know, it was probably a worthwhile thing to say right before the playoffs started. Hey, you know what? Andy Dalton's gotten in the playoff five straight years. And then when they lost their first playoff game for the fifth straight year, then you said, well, that wasn't good enough. But there's a window. I'm not saying he's not Andy Dalton. I'm just acknowledging the other side of Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton wasn't going two and 14 every year. It's not even the other side of Andy Dalton. It's the full Andy Daltonness of it's it. It's the full Andy Dalton. Hmm. They won games. They didn't win playoff games. I'm Andy Dalton. And then as we talked about on the Andy Dalton podcast, when they got away from Andy Dalton, it's because they hadn't made the playoffs for four straight years. Right? So, so the idea that, oh, it's like, no, it's the same. But I just look at all, it's a 360 degree sphere. And when I get a globe, I don't just look at North America and go, oh, North America. 
Wow, North America. I spin that globe, man. I'm looking at every continent. So I write North America. Then I write a little Africa. Then I write a little Asia. Then I write a little Australia. Drop in a little New Zealand. Write a little Europe. Then I come back around, hit South America. Boom, I'm home. Got to spin that globe. Everybody spin a globe. I, do you guys own a globe? What a thing to own. I own a computer. No, but it's yeah. it's. I had tangible. a globe as a child. I had a globe yeah. as a child. Yeah. My, I don't I have, have kids now, so I don't necessarily need a globe. No, but don't you just want to just think about the world sometimes and be able to look at stuff? I have a, my mom yeah. had it. And when she moved, I got oh. it. I have like one of those old like liquor globes that it's uh, like you, it's, it's, the, it's gigantic. Like full of bourbon. And you open it. And I don't drink. So there's no liquor in it, but there could be. That would be a cool idea for a glo- globe if you had like a party. And the globe, the wa- it, it's a clear globe. And so when you put the liquids in it, whether it's punch or liquor, whatever it is, the glow, it's the water portion of it. Oh, that's good. That would be good. Why don't you invent that? I would buy that. I am. He just gave I it am. away for free. Or well, I'm not giving anything away. He just gave it, yeah, he just I gave gave it, it away for three ninety nine. Yeah. This is like reverse <laughs> shirt tank. We're we're just giving <laughs> ideas away. We're not trying to get investors. We're just giving them away. Yeah. This is what you guys are really paying the three ninety nine a month for for the text. And actually, not everybody's listening to this as a texter. So you are giving it to some people for free. Yeah. Those are the people with the real swindle going on. Anyway, were there other uh, any other questions with the with that survey other than because I want to I want to an- we got a question yeah. to answer about the outcome of the game. So I wanted to save that. Let me do one more Holtman question. What is your evaluation of Chris Holtman in his five seasons so far? It's a scale of one to 10. You just pick one number between one and 10. 10 is excellent. And one is terrible. So five's right in the middle. Steven, what do you think the rating for Chris Holtman was? 5.8. What do you say, Nathan? I'll say 6.12. 6.24. And the, Two by far most popular were six and seven. They had the I same hate, number of votes. I really hate you for getting that specific with it. Oh, I love it. I, but isn't you that did fun? not have to go to the hundred place. He gave me his 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 score did. Yeah. I was only twelve hundred soft. I love the prices. Like I like forty four hundred. Love love what Thank you price is right. But you both were under, so you qualified for the showcase showdown by being under. So listen again. Sometimes the way people talk. And he got more eights than he got ones, twos, threes, and fours combined. So, you know, there are not, it's not like half the fan base is going to be outside Value City Arena if they lose to Loyola with Fire Holtman signs. There might be like three Twitter people on it. And I'm, and again, my whole point is think whatever you want. Just don't yell at me about it on Twitter. And attack my motives. Uh, you can yell about my story. You Don't can sign up for the text for three ninety nine, and then you can yell at him. No, actually, somebody yelled at. Somebody said something I did was dumb. I because I tweeted, I texted the fact, the main fact of that story. They're one of eighteen, yeah. and someone said that's a dumb uh, stat. And I said it's not dumb. It is relevant. It is a threshold. It's not dumb at all. And then somebody the next day said. Nathan is awesome. Steven is awesome. Doug is insufferable. How do I stop the texts? Hmm. And I think it was the same person. So, <laughs> I mean, like you, you get more leeway on the texts, but even if you're paying me money, like don't say my thing's dumb. It's a relevant stat. Yeah. So like to, to say it's dumb, I, I 
I burned the money. I set the money on fire. I set that money on fire. I couldn't help myself. I apologize. No, I don't. I don't apologize, actually. So anyway. Which is insufferable. Which is insufferable. (laughs) Let's get into the game itself. Let's get into the game itself. Uh, This is Buckeye Talk stalwart Joseph in Atlanta. As the week's gone on, I've become more and more confident about Ohio State's chances against Loyola because everybody seems to be so out on OSU. They're on every upset list. Loyola is getting a surprising amount of hype, and everybody's brackets have Loyola over OSU. Meanwhile, the objective stuff is that the team has had a chance to rest after a brutal stretch of games. They might have Key and Young back, and they have the two best players. Am I a sucker for buying in? Steven, is he a sucker for buying into Ohio State not being on upset watch against Loyola? No. Um, That's like 40% of the reason why I'm going to pick Ohio State to win. Um, they do have the best two players, like by a, by a large margin. EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham are the two most talented players in this game. And that matters a lot more in basketball when there's only 10 people on the court than it does in pretty much any other sport where there are north of 15 people on the field, diamond, whatever you want to call it. I also think that there is this thing with the NCAA tournament where when you're filling out your bracket, everybody just goes through and they fill out their bracket first. And then most people will go through again and say, do I have enough upsets? And they'll try to force pick an upset. And it just seems like this is the easiest one to pick because it's a 10, seven game with a team who has been known in the past to upset teams. They have the cool little thing with sister Jean. They just did it a year ago to Illinois. So it's all these factors to it. And it, for, when you're trying to find upsets to force your bracket to be as complete as possible, you overthink things. And I do think there's an element to this Ohio State Loyola game that's getting overthought when it might just boil down to EJ Liddell and Malachi Brandon are better than anybody that Loyola can throw out there. And that's what's going to matter most. Well, Illinois had the two best players last year. That didn't matter against Illinois. It also didn't yeah. matter that Ohio State had the two best players against Nebraska at home or some of these other games that they lost down the stretch. That's debatable. That's debatable if they had the best two players against Nebraska. I mean, there's a case to be made that Bryce might have been better than Malachi, especially that night. But then also, yes, you're right with the Illinois point, but also Kofi Coburn was the only one who played well. Like, Io did not play well in that game at all. So that's going to make – you have the best two players, but they actually have to play like it. So Ohio State has the best two players. I think Loyola is the better basketball program. Right now, is that? I mean, I know they lost their coach, but they replaced him with a guy who'd been around that I think a lot of people respect as a young up and comer. They have tournament experience and they have a better Ken Palm rating. This game, obviously, Loyola is the lower seed. I think it started off with Loyola favored by like one and a half. I think the latest I saw is like Ohio State favored by one. So it's basically a pick them, it's a coin flip. And I think I'm well, I, I'm going to pick Loyola because the thing, Stephen, that I wonder about is some kind of strategy. I think Loyola plays good defense. Ohio State doesn't. That's also mm-hmm. a starting point. I do think the rest is a huge deal. I think that is if you don't acknowledge that this team was absolutely worn down by the last month and squeezing in a couple extra games and it was compounded by injuries, they're exhausted. Absolutely matters that they're getting eight days off. But they're not going to learn to play better. They're not going to learn to play better defense in there. And I don't know. Now, they might actually learn to play a little better defense because they can practice. And they have to work the half-court offense against this Loyola defense. I have concerns about that. 
But the thing, Stephen, that I'm envisioning is a world where Loyola lets EJ Liddell get his. The over-under on this game is like 132 and a half. So that's like yeah. 67 to 65 kind of score. And this, yeah, and the spread's even now as of last time I just checked. Let EJ get his and make life miserable for Malachi Branham and dare a third guy to do anything. And I'm not saying Malachi can't handle that, but that's what I would do. I'm not sure you're going to stop EJ Liddell. Let him get 28 and hound the freshman mid-range jump shooter and try to make him have a William Buford two for 16 game. And I don't know. That might work. I've been watching the Loyola, Illinois game, um, which is why I didn't read any of these questions when Nathan sent them. That's exactly what they did to Illinois. Lucas Williamson is the, back-to-back conference defensive player of the year and they basically I mean they doubled Kofi at times there's literally pictures of like three four people on him at times but they just said we can't stop Kofi go get your 21 and six and nine Uh, Io had nine points and six turnovers with Lucas Williamson on him because he gave him hell all day so that seems like a strategy they're going to try to apply here where it's like EJ is physically built for this and he's just going to have a night while Luke Chris Williamson as the upperclassman, the senior, you know, makes life difficult for the freshman guard who is really good, but is physically not there yet. So he might just get, you know, outmanned at times. So I also picked Loyola to win this game. And I think you're right, Stephen, that if if there are people, I guess do your bracket however you want. But if you if you're doing picks and then go back and think, well, I need to pick more upsets, um, I think that's a little bit of a flawed way to do it. I think a better way to do it is to, if you want to put the time in, scrutinize it a little bit. Because I don't think Loyola should be a 10 seed. I think they're better than a 10 seed. And I th- that's when you start looking at find the teams that are maybe underseeded. I think you could make a strong case that they should be underseeded. And if, if there is an upset here, as you kind of alluded to, it wouldn't it would be a, an upset on the seed line, but it may not be an upset per Las Vegas. It may not be an upset per a lot of the analytics sites that are breaking this down and are picking Loyola to win based on other factors. So I, I took Loyola also to win this game, uh, but I also think that I think Doug's right that they're actually, I mean, they're no worse than even right now as a basketball program. I mean, just a couple of years removed from a final four, a one year removed from not just winning in the NCAA tournament, but like springing a big upset over a, a high seed in the NCAA tournament. Like those are things that Ohio state's not doing right now. And I, 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 I would hesitate to really even call this an upset. It'd be an upset on the seed line, but really these are two pretty even teams going into this game. I think when you talk about program top to bottom, we talk about roster top to bottom. Or Branham and Liddell could combine for 52 and Ohio state wins by 14. Right. I mean, like that's the formula. They have the two best players and it's a lot like, you know, when we're talking about when we're ranking this stuff, it's like, well, what do you do in the end? Sometimes you're trying to figure stuff out. It's like, I don't know. Uh, talent. So, you know, sometimes that works and that's not a bad way to analyze this. And if you analyze it that way, Loyola doesn't have two guys who can score at their peak the way Liddell and Branham can score. So I just think the defense is going to make it rough for them. Yeah, normally we would pick this against the spread. I'm checking right now to see what the most recent spread is. Um, Doug, what, what, what did the texters say as far as who they're picking to win this game? So the Texers said 64%. Guess who? Ohio State or Loyola? Loyola. What do you say, Nathan? Uh, I'll say Ohio State. It's Ohio State. 
64% Ohio State, 36% Loyola. So again, listen, it's Ohio State fans, but you know, sometimes your fans are your toughest critics, rightly so. So um, yeah, I think there's, and then I'll, I may as well just throw this in here, Nathan, should I, how far will Ohio State advance? Should I go ahead and do that poll question now too? Sure. Options. So the, the, so this kind of matches up 36% said that Loyola would win. So 36% said they'll lose their first game. 46% said win the first game, lose the second game, which should be against number two Villanova, unless Delaware springs the huge upset. So that's 82% of the people with Ohio state short of the sweet 16, 16% said sweet 16, 2% said elite eight or better, a very optimistic group. So 18% in the Sweet 16, 82% not in the Sweet 16. By the way, uh, Loyola opened as a one and a half point favorite per Vegas Insider, but now all the sites that it tracks, well, there's like five of them here, but all five of those sites have Ohio State as either a half point or one point favorite. Yeah. It'll be a pick up a tip off, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right. Because well, the Loyola it, money will come back around now, too. That how far Ohio State will advance in the NCAA tournament, I think is very interesting. So I think we're about. Good EJ Liddell. I think they got a win Friday, obviously, first, but how many games can EJ? I mean, you have an NBA player who is a lottery pick, maybe at least a lot of mock jabs are putting him in the lottery pick. And given the way last year's tournament ended, and that's been his only tournament experience, like I'm not going to completely rule out the I am EJ Liddell and I'm a top 10 NBA draft pick. And he just like drags this team to the sweet 16. I mean, that's, I'm a not great... going to pick. Yeah. I'm not going to pick it. I think they're going to win this game and then lose on Sunday, but. I mean, that's like a great theory. If they were a five seed playing a four seed in the second round, they're playing the yeah. guy who might be, who might be the best coach in college basketball, yeah. who has won two national titles in the last five years. So I mean, that's just, that's just a big, I, this is what they did to themselves. This is exactly what their collapse did. They have stinking Villanova waiting for. So I, 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 nothing's impossible in the tournament. They beat Duke with that concept. But they haven't played like that, right? I mean, yeah, it's I, been a minute. It's, yeah. it's, and, and Villanova doesn't have to wonder who it's like third and fourth scores are. So I, it's a big ask. And it's just, I just think, the, ugh. To be the seven or the eight, man, if you could have hung on for a six, right? I mean, that's just uh, the one and two seeds, man. Those are legit power programs with talent mm-hmm. and great coaching who have come together and know who they are. And that's a hard team to beat Here's, in March. Did you guys already do this on Sunday? Like, which would you rather be, Ohio State or Michigan with this bracket? We did because not. Because Ohio, Ohio State plays Loyola in the first round. And then we'll have Villanova most likely in the second round. Michigan opens up against as an 11 seed, but against Colorado State. And then in the next round would either be Tennessee, probably, or Longwood. So which draw would you rather have? Ohio State as the seven or Michigan as the 11? Yeah. I don't like either one of those because Tennessee is underseeded. Tennessee's underseeded, yeah. But I know what you're saying. It's like one of those things because Ohio State, right? I mean, Ohio State was an 11 and beat the six a couple years ago. And then I think had, that was the year they had Houston as yeah, their three, round. but they played with Houston for a little bit, I think. So, I mean, that is the point. It's like, Hey, 
All you got to do is beat a six, and then you have to play a worse seed than Ohio State does. But Villanova's got six guys that average at least nine points a game. Uh, I just, it would be great. It would be great to get to the point where we can talk about Ohio State, Villanova, and break that down. Be a great thing for the Buckeyes basketball program. Uh, are we picking how far we're going to, s- we think they're going to go? Steven says they're going to be, they'll lose on Sunday. Doug, did you, you also had them losing the I first said, round, right? Yes. So there you go. I hope you were all able, if you were in on the texts, I hope you got your brackets in. We're doing the bracket bonanza again. I suppose if you hear this early enough Friday, you can still get in on our Yahoo thing. I guess I can, I could probably give the, well, no, it's only for the texters. So you'd have to sign up for the text. I will try to send out a text again Friday morning at 10 a.m. for anyone who wants to get in at the very end. I think that'll be before the games tip off. Do we have a decent crowd so far? Have you checked? Um, yeah, we've got a good crowd. It's, it's, I think it's getting similar to what last year was. I don't remember exactly how many that was. But, yeah, we're getting up there, and I think it's going to build more. Um, I'll send out some reminders. I'll send one out before tip-off on Friday. Or, no, for Thursday. Oh, people are – yeah, Thursday, I meant. Thursday. You got to get it before Thursday. You have to, then the, the playing games don't matter, but you have to get your bracket in fully filled out before tip-off on Thursday morning. And if you win, you get to come on here and brag. And you also get a copy of Doug's book, I suppose, if you want one. I guess he'll send it to you anyway. And you, you can have do with to, it as you please. You have to take it. You have to give me your address and you have to, you cannot turn it down. Actually, we're going to send you the book first and you have to come on and give a book report yeah. on the podcast. My yeah. book report is on the road to Ohio state trials and tribulations on the recruiting trail. My favorite chapter was on Kenny Guy. He was, <laughs> I've told this story on here before, right? My daughter's everybody's winding down school. So it's reminders of this. My kids are pretty good about not procrastinating, but I like hearing stories of their friends who are procrastinating. I know I've told this story on a podcast before. In sixth grade, we had to do 12 book reports during the course of the year. You had to do at least two per quarter. In the first quarter, I did two. In the second quarter, I did two. In the third quarter, I did two, which means in the fourth quarter, I had to do six. And like the night before they were due, I had like four book reports that I, I hadn't even read the books. Oh, no, no. And I that stayed was before up, Spark Notes. Yeah. Before and I, I, I don't even know what I did, but I, I prayed and I said, if you, dear God, if you help me just pass this, pass the sixth grade, I'll be a minister. And I, I passed sixth grade and I'm a podcast guy. So <laughs> God's preaching. probably You're mad preaching at me. to the masses. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I would never make anyone do a book report on my stinking book because I, I book reports. Uh, I hate book reports. Oh my God. A book report. Uh, I, I had some, some fun out of reading. I had some similar thing with a macroeconomics or microeconomics class in college where you had to do like a portfolio over the course of the semester. And then like the last, you know, two days before it's due or the day before it's due or whatever, you went in the library and it was like all of your classmates were in there and you're all just Xeroxing like the same things from the Wall Street Journal to put together this thing that we're supposed to put. It's, there were literally like 20 people in there at the same time, including me doing the same thing. Let's slip in some nonsense from the 530. Favorite emergency frozen meal. This one is near and dear to my heart right now. I think my answer is probably just like frozen pizza. Everybody just keeps a frozen pizza in the and it really is more like an emergency thing. Like we don't like plan to eat frozen pizza. A lot of times it's just like we haven't planned ahead. So it's like, I guess we can just eat a pizza. But uh, my wife is, I don't know if I talked about this much on the pod. She's seven plus months pregnant. We're due at the end of April. And a couple weekends ago, we took a Saturday and we made like five lasagnas and like 
five trays of enchiladas that are now in our freezer. And for when the baby comes for those days, we don't feel like cooking, which people tell us will be a lot. You'll just be exhausted and at wit's end from the baby crying all night or whatever. And now we can just pop a lasagna in the oven that we made in February and eat it in May. Well, that's a good plan. I, we'll hope see. Your ba- I hope the baby likes enchiladas. The, uh... well, he won't be eating anything like that for a oh, while. Yeah. We'd have to like Some liquefy the them. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the frozen burrito. So I, have, I often have a couple frozen burritos kind of in the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, ready to, can, there's like a buck. So, and if you, you know, you heat something up and you dip it in salsa, uh, you don't even know what it is. So I always have salsa. So you can dip anything in salsa. So, do you microwave the burritos or yeah, do you? Okay. I microwave it. But sometimes I do a little microwave plus toaster oven, get a little crispier or whatever. Cause sometimes it gets soggy in the microwave. So uh, I like that, like that, but I do have a trouble with the frozen pizza sometimes. Cause sometimes the frozen pizzas are more expensive than a little Caesars. And I'm not saying little Caesars is great, but I'd rather have a little Caesars than a frozen pizza. And if it's five bucks or five fifty at little Caesars, and then there's one down the street from us, then the frozen pizzas take up a lot of space. So I'm more apt to go with the frozen burrito. I'm a big fan of the Costco pizzas. You can buy like four or five of those. They come in like one big box. I'm, I oh, like yeah. those. Those are my, oh, my favorite home run. Pizza. I like home run ins good frozen pizza too. Home run in is very good. Steven has a look on his face of just, I guess he is not on, uh, he's not a pizza pizza guy from Little Caesars. No, I feel like. Little Caesars and Taco Bell go in the same category as things you should never eat again after you've graduated from college. Oh, no, 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 no. When you need to feed your family for cheap, it's a whole different conversation. And like whenever it's like, hey, you're having some friends over, we'll get pizza. It's going to be Little Caesars. I had a roommate. I can't combat that because I don't have kids. So I'll just I'll let you have that one. Cheap. Cheap is good. I had a roommate, an adult roommate. This is not when I was in college, who his diet basically ate like a four-year-old would eat if they could pick and his diet (laughs) largely consisted of either chicken bacon ranch footlongs from subway with no vegetables and a mountain dew or like a cheesy bread with pepperoni from little caesars and 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 with mountain dew and when he would get there and open the door they would start to ring up his order like that's how well they knew exactly what he was coming in to get he went there that often that regularly to order the same thing all the time that's how my college roommate who was like my roommate my first two years out of college too was like he only ate hot dogs and those little frozen small little personal pizzas i can't remember but they have like the little pepperonis on them that are square pepperonis or he ate chicken patties no vegetable. I don't think I've ever seen him eat a vegetable before in my life, and I've known this man since I was like 13. Are you talking about the Totino's party pizzas? Yeah, the Totino's party oh, pizzas. Our entire, freezer, our entire freezer was just like food that you would feed an 11-year-old for the first two years, the first two years we lived off campus. And one day I said, dude, man, like, he had a vegetable or something like that. And so he went and got frozen vegetables and then never ate them. I liked when Steven said square pepperonis and Nathan went, ooh, Totino's party pizzas. It was like, that's my call. Those Those were like a dollar when I was in college. You could get a pizza for like a dollar. It was was beautiful. One more break. We're going to come back, talk more football, more nonsense, more everything here on Buckeye Talk. This one from the 614 was sent to us. It says, this is definitely a nonsense question. But it's also a football question, so I thought I'd go ahead and ask it. 
Which Buckeye, Buckeye football head coach had the best side look in terms of style? So, like on the sideline, how they yes, looked on the I side think that's oh. what they mean, yes. Had the best sideline look in terms of style. I guess you're talking about the Woody Hayes, um, where he was wearing like the, the Sipowitz uh, short sleeve white shirts and the tie. We have the sweater vest. You have uh, the Urban Meyer kind of, um, what would you call that? Like that kind of popped collar collar pullover. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Ryan Day is still working on his, I think. It's beard. It's no beard. It's the red suit. But then it's also like just, you know, um, the the sweatsuit that, you know what I'm saying, that uh, your your dad might wear on a Sunday afternoon or whatever. So I don't know. Who would you guys vote? Best best sideline fashion sense among the Ohio State football coaches. Jim Trestle wore a sweater vest, man. Any type of formal wear in an outdoor sport as a coach, you get me. Like, there was that Miami coach who was wearing full-fledged suits on the sideline for a little bit, and it's just like, you don't have to wear that, dude. Like, <laughs> it's cold out here. Like, what are you doing? But sweater vest gets me every time. And I think it's because that's my childhood, so that probably plays a role into it. But, yeah, the sweater vest is eternal for me. Howard Schnellenberger rocking the suits for the for the U yes. back in the day. Uh, I do think the idea that right now, if you put on a short sleeve white collared shirt and a tie and a pair of black glasses, people would be like, are you dressing up like Woody Hayes? And then if you put the block O cap on on top of it, people would be like, are you dressing up as Woody Hayes for Halloween? That is something like that mm-hmm. is whether you think it's good style it is a style, and I admire that. That that's my thing. It's not outlandish, but it's like, oh, that's Woody Hayes. So I think that's hard to top. But the sweater vest, the fact that his nickname was a piece of clothing. Can you imagine, like, if yeah. your nickname Nathan was like, oh, Nathan the Belt Baird. Oh, that guy's. Oh, he's wears that belt. Oh, the belt. What's up with the belt today? Or if Stephen was like, Stephen's like the hoodie. Oh, Stephen. Stephen means the hoodie. You know that guy? Oh yeah, like. Can you imagine? Oh, Doug. Oh, the Coles clearance rack plaid shirt. Oh, that's Doug. That's Doug, the old Coles clearance rack plaid shirt. They called him the sweater vest. That's about as good as it gets. I think you might be right. I think it's it's so synonymous. I was also thinking, though, like, did John Cooper and Earl Bruce have, like, any kind of fashion that went along with them? I think you almost only get to have fashion if you win at a certain level. Like it, it yeah. you know what I mean? And maybe and, and maybe that's the other thing that Ryan Day has to earn here in these next few years is the right for some of this clothing to be associated with him. Because I think if you Girl unless had- you're doing something really garish, then if whatever you're losing, you know what I mean? Like if Jim Trestle had just been like a if Jim Trestle had, had John John Cooper's record, then maybe we wouldn't be talking about the sweater vest. He, his name probably wouldn't have been the sweater vest. It would have been something else like derogatory about how he couldn't win enough. Like nine and three Earl, even though he wore that hat. Well, he right. wore the hat like at the end, right? Like he wore the yeah. hat for the last game. And then that kind of became synonymous with him. So like, I, but that's a good look. I like that look. It is. I think it's interesting though. The, the suit really has gone out like the formal wear on the sideline. Maybe that's where Ryan day could be really bold and bring that back. He walks in already with the red checkered whatever suit when he comes in, you know, for the stadium walk and stuff. Just keep that on. Be be the Connie Mac. So people who don't know Connie Mac, you know, baseball managers 
look ridiculous. Like I love baseball, but I think it looks ridiculous that they get these old fat men wearing baseball uniforms, the same uniforms as the players on the field. It looks really goofy, but Connie Mack, like one of the great baseball managers of all time, wore like a suit and a hat, you know, back in the twenties or whatever it was. I think Ryan day should adopt that. He's in the 2020s. Now, hundred years later, he can be the Connie Mack of football. Just come in and wearing like a three piece suit on the sideline and taking the fashion in a whole new direction. No, I'm all for the jerseys. I think every coach should do that. I think Ryan Day should wear an Ohio State football jersey on the sideline. And it should just be a C as the number. I think Chris Holtman. Yeah, I think. Yes. As a matter of fact, yes. And then uh, Brian Hartline can wear a WR for wide receiver. Larry Johnson can wear a DL for defensive lineman. And that's how you identify a guy. It would make it so much easier to find who's on the field and who's up in the box. Chris Holtman should have to wear a basketball jersey. Yes. I'm scratch the other idea about the globe thing. We're doing this. I'm asking Ryan day about this on Tuesday. I have never heard anyone suggest this before. Yeah. Wear the Jersey that your players wear. Yep. Cause cause like, again, like in baseball, they wear the baseball uniform. Why doesn't a football coach wear a football uniform? You could also give the coaches the numbers that are three digits and above. Like your head coach wears 100. Your offensive coordinator wears 101. Your defensive coordinator wears 102. You could just make it that way for every team. But then there'd be a whole thing where like, oh, you can hire this guy, but he, he demands to have number 101. Okay. They, they should have to wear their salaries. Or 990. <laughs> I saw there was a great um, a great Facebook post recently or a Twitter post somebody passed around of a guy who had ordered a custom jersey. And he was like, oh, I was ordering my custom Cubs jersey, but I screwed up the um, filling in the fields on the order form. And mm. so they sent it to him with like a, a number, a player number, whatever. And then his credit card number was where the name would go on the back. <laughs> that's oh, that's pretty good. I thought it was going to be because, like, I love it when you 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 go through like the things on social media and it's people have a birthday cake and it says "Happy Birthday" right name here, you, you know, kind of <laughs> that kind of thing. I thought it was going to be that. So, <laughs> um, going back to football talk, real real football talk from the four one two. The three best safeties on the team are fighting for two positions. How will they sort out Williams, Proctor, and Hickman? And can anyone on the roster challenge Tanner McAllister for that nickel spot? We sort of touched on this earlier, and we're going to talk about this a lot more in the fall, but I think it's worth asking, like, is, is this one of those things as you see it right now, that is a good problem to have, or is it potentially a conflict? Is it potentially a wrinkle that um, becomes an issue for the team? Rotating from strength. Yeah. Yeah. Rotating from strength. I mean, cause you know what Josh Rock Proctor would have been the way he was playing at the beginning of last season. Ronnie Hickman shows you enough. So it's, it's a situation. It's not to this talent level. When I say this, just understand the example. It's like when you had Gary on Conley and Marshawn Lattimore, who clearly showed that they shouldn't have been taken off the field. And Denzel Ward pushed himself into that and made it a three-man rotation. That's what court Williams is doing here. He's trying to make those two safety spots, a three-man rotation between those two, those guys. But one important distinction there that I want people to keep an eye on, because we have to keep an eye on it this spring is they made it pretty clear when we talked to them last week that Josh Proctor is not a full participant yet. That was supposed to start again after spring break. So yes, Court Williams looks like he's like up front right now. I want to see where those three guys 
stand as the spring progresses. As Josh Proctor becomes more of a full participant, does he start to nudge somebody out, whether that's Williams or Hickman? Or does it become what I think we all think it might just end up being if Court Williams can hold on to playing at the same level as these two older guys is just a a three-man rotation that they use in some capacity? I'm probably wrong, but I continue to hold out some question of whether Josh Proctor could work in at the nickel safety where Tanner McAllister is just because I think at times in the past, we thought he might have those cover skills. And again, as a Dax Hill comparison, it's certainly not a perfect comparison, but Dax Hill at the NFL combine. And when you think about him as a draft pick, he's like kind of a safety, but he's kind of a nickel cover guy. And that's a pretty good skill set to have so that, you know, Josh Proctor, if something happened to Hickman or Williams, he could go back deep, but again, like who's a better athlete. Who's a better cover guy? Tanner McAllister played that spot very well for Oklahoma State last year. Josh Proctor was a much higher ranked recruit. And we know Cam Martinez works in there as well. We know there's other candidates there, but I still wonder about that because I don't think Hickman or Court Williams would be there. But I I wonder if Josh Proctor could be. I think it's worth asking, but I'm skeptical of it just because of the way Knowles keeps talking about that position. He talks about that position more like a cornerback position than he does a safety position, even though it's a yeah. safety position. And in fact, Steven, you had a conversation with him, I think, or had, had heard that it, that even from the athletes that they're going to recruit for that position, it trends more cornerback. It trends more Sean Wade than it does Josh Proctor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause he even said that it's like the nickel is just the third corner, which is they're going to recruit corners with the idea of they're going to play him at nickel. Now that doesn't mean there aren't safeties out there who like Legend Cavazos was listed as a safety for most of his recruiting cycle until he got put put at corner as a senior. But guys of that build who are at listed as safeties, they fit that because they're still they're just cornerbacks. I know people come to us, I mean, as evidenced by these questions, they they come asking for how is this going to play out? And I we're going to keep talking about these things, but just understand that a lot of times we'll be talking these things out kind of in real time as we're getting information because I think Ohio state is still figuring some of this stuff out in real time. They're probably, they probably need to look at someone like Josh Proctor at a position like that. And does that, does that give you your best 11 guys on defense? Or maybe it's not even Josh Proctor. Maybe it's Ronnie Hickman. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody else at that kind of position, but just from the things that Jim Knowles has said. And on top of all of that, the fact that, that McAllister has already done what he wants that position to do for multiple years. Sometimes coaches do sort of lean on security and reliability and he might lean that direction too or maybe something changes over the course of the year too but i would still if i'm betting right now it's tanner McAllister starts at that position on opening day and again just to make the dax hill comparison because he could be he was kind of that nickel guy at times for michigan six foot 192 josh proctor six two two oh five so we're talking a couple inches taller 10 yeah. pounds every year does he have the, is it the perfect body for it? But it's like, can you cover, can you cover, can you cover the guy in there? He might be a little big for it, but I think at times I thought, I, I kind of like Josh Proctor's cover skills and not to smash together football and basketball some more. And this is not a shot at Tyner McAllister, but when Chris Holtman got here, I didn't think Butler basketball at Ohio state was going to win. You got to come play Ohio state basketball. Oklahoma State football is not going to win at Ohio State. I get Tanner McAllister was a really good player. They have Ohio State players here. Tanner McAllister can help Ohio State this year for sure. But great. This is Ohio State. 
Josh Proctor is really talented. Cam Martinez is really talented. So yes, safety and security. And I understand leaning to that, but this is not going to be still water North, man. This is a different deal. And as much as we talk about, Hey, he's going to get all these five-star recruits and he's never had guys at this level. You've got to accept that. You've got to be ready for that. You've got to take some of the risks maybe inherent with that to let, let these really skilled guys get after it. Um, and so that's why I'm still curious about how it all works out. From the 419, why has Parker Fleming not gotten more heat? That's the special teams coordinator at Ohio State, for those who don't know. Special teams were a weakness, particularly in the Rose Bowl with the kickoff unit. Also, it's another guy in the building with no experience versus outside hire discussion. I guess I would say I didn't think of special teams as being a big problem last year. I know what he's saying about the Rose Bowl. I looked up Ohio State was like middle of the pack in kickoff return against um, the rest of the Big Ten. They were 17.83 yards per return. That was eighth. If you take out what happened with the long return in the Rose Bowl, then they're probably in the top half of the conference there. They also, um, opponents return a lot of kicks against Ohio State because Ohio State scores a lot. Um, I guess I don't really see why Parker Fleming's performance would warrant heat. We obviously talked in the offseason, though, also that maybe that was the one position that seemed superfluous if you wanted to rearrange the staff and have more positions covered by actual defensive coaches that I would you could see moving him aside. But it's also pretty clear that Ryan Day is, I think, by the fact that he kept him there when he didn't have to, his contract was up at the end of the of January, um, that he sees something there that he wants to keep around. I think there's an argument to be made that Keenan Bailey as a quality control coach of the entire, he's like the head QC now is more valuable to Ohio state than Parker Fleming is as a special teams coordinator. And Parker Fleming significantly makes more money than him because he's an official assistant coach. Parker Fleming didn't hire himself. And his job is not as important as quarterbacks coach. So um, I, I don't, we've, and, and like we have given Parker, We've given the hiring of Parker Fleming heat. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know. I'm not sure it's a huge topic of conversation or stories for anybody else, but I lump Parker Fleming and the Corey Dennis hires together. Corey Dennis is more directly like sort of adjacent nepotism because he's related to Urban Meyer, but they're both guys down the hall who I'm not exactly sure why they are here. I don't know that their resume is warranted being hired as full-time Ohio State assistants, and the way their stuff breaks down, I'm not exactly sure why they have a full-time special teams coach, why that's the designation. And then his other duties are defensive and he'd never coached defense before. So it's a, a bit bonkers. So yes, it's bonkers, but I guess in a news conference, if like Parker was like, Hey guys, great to be here. I'm happy to take your questions. Why are you here? I, I could do that, but he didn't hire himself. Yeah, so. I don't know. I don't, heat might not be the right word, but I think we've definitely given it scrutiny. And again, it happened from the time of the hire and in his positional background was part of that. He's an offensive coach. He had been an offensive coach throughout his life until he got here. So th that definitely happened. I, it might be worth saying, you know, if Ryan Day thinks he is such an advanced special teams coach that that hire was worth it and keeping him on staff is worth it. And having that position take up a spot is worth it. Then it's worth it 
to say to expect those to expect higher returns at that position then like you you have to have the special teams coordinator pay off i guess at that point and to that point i would then say if you're going to criticize things like the kickoff return unit you have to mention emeka Ibuka and the performance he had last year i don't think it's completely fair to say one thing you criticize the coach for and one thing you give him no credit for um you know he was instrumental in bringing in a place kicker who missed one field goal all year and was on some all-American teams and stuff and is one of the reasons why this team has a little bit more stability on special teams going into this season so there's some other things going on there that Parker Fleming has had a role in um, that have brought stability to whether Ohio State can win every Saturday so I think that's important to point out too. Touche to the Ruggles point I'm not giving him any credit for Mecca Buka being a five-star wide receiver who happens to be really special with the ball in his hands you know that's I mean that's a distinction that we're going to be able to say about a lot of players in that wide receiver room. And it's always going to be on the table that one of them as a true freshman should probably just be on special teams because he's not going to get on the field as a true freshman. How many punts did Garrett Wilson take back in his career? Three years. It's not like he put it, took a punt. Home. I, hey, thought he was, like, I thought he was fine as a punt returner. He wasn't anything special as a punt returner. I mean, Abeka hasn't technically taken one back either. And I know, his most impressive I'm, one got called back because of a holding penalty. So it's like kind yeah. of, Apples now, apples there, where it's like they're really special and they might t- like Mecca Buka might get out of here with a bunch of I almost took it back, but I didn't take it back, which is fine. It's they're going to score 40 point plus points a game anyway. It's not that's a bonus if he actually takes one back, but the concept is still the same. And I'm not saying that the only reason Emeka Buka had some success last year is because of Parker Fleming. I'm saying that Garrett Wilson was a borderline liability as a punt return guy as a freshman, and Emeka Buka brought a surge to this team with what he could do with the ball in his hands as a kick returner this past year. Parker Fleming was here for one of them, and he wasn't here for the other one. I'm just saying, if you're going to criticize the kickoff return unit or kickoff defense unit, then I think some credit for helping set up Emeka Buka is probably one of the two. To be fair, he was here for the other one. He just wasn't an assistant coach. He, right. He, he wasn't. He was the special teams coordinator is what I'm saying. Mm. From the 858, this is actually from Khaled, another one of our longtime subscribers. This is one of the old questions I hope you guys address once you got a chance, because I wonder if Ryan Day missed on J.J. McCarthy or Common Cord is just going to be as good, if not better. So who do you think stole the better quarterback from the other guy's backyard? This is a Ohio State-Penn State comparison. Ohio State stealing the best quarterback in Pennsylvania in 2021. That was Kyle McCord or Penn State stealing Drew Allar from Ohio in 2022. Please evaluate purely on the potential of both quarterbacks and not the quarterback room situation for each team. Gun to your head. We should start calling these like GTYH text. Gun to your head today. Who had the better steal? I love this question. Go ahead, Doug. You can go first. I'd rather have Allar. That's not a shot of Kyle McCord, but I'd rather have Drew Allar. Wow. Um, I, I like the term steal. It's like, well, Ohio State kind of had their guy and wasn't in on Aller. And then and by the time they wanted him, he was already committed to Penn State and Philadelphia. Yes, it's in Pennsylvania, but it's not like every Philadelphia kid goes to Penn State. But I, I, I point stands. It's an Ohio kid and a Pennsylvania kid playing for opposite schools. But if, and not just because of the way the room's set up right now, if Penn State said, we'll trade you. Hey, we want somebody right now. We don't really want to play Sean Clifford and we want someone with more experience. We'll trade you Drew Aller for Kyle McCord. I would take that trade if I was Ohio State. Would you take that trade for Ohio State if you needed one of those quarterbacks to win games this year? Yes. 
I think I would not. I would rather have Common Court if I was Ohio State in 2022. Yeah. I think Common Court has a better arm than uh, Drew Aller. I think he's a better quarterback. I also think he's better than J.J. McCarthy. It's just C.J. Stroud's better than all three of them. So, you know. Yeah, that's the other thing that I don't – I still don't look at Kyle McCord as having done – it's not like he's underachieved at Ohio State so no, far. not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. And I, I, I get that vibe sometimes from questions like this, like, oh, did he – did something go wrong here? Maybe that's not what they're trying to say. He, but that, He didn't look great in the Akron game. No, right? no he, he didn't. had his chance and he didn't look great. If he would have set, if he would have lit it up, and so, but like, what is that? It's not much. It's not. It's much. what was that? That was game three or four of a guy who'd been there eight months. Um. So you take and it I with a grain of salt. He was nervous. I mean, I just, I think that there, was, yes, that was most of it, which is understandable. I think so, he would have been served better if that was a noon game. I think the night environment. CJ not looking too hot the first couple of games. And so it's like, come be the savior, Kyle McCord, and blow CJ off the field. It was a very, it was kind of a lose-lose situation for Kyle McCord to be in. Like, he was either going to have to come out there and throw for 400 yards and only have, like, four incompletions or look like a normal true freshman starting his first football game. Well, but at that point, a lot of people had a lot of questions about CJ. There was actually room for him to do something. I, I don't know that it was lose-lose. It was a pretty darn good opportunity, and but, he didn't look that great. I, I'm not blaming him, but I think that's factual. But that added to the nerves of the situation, absolutely, I mm-hmm. think. The, the, the Tulsa game that, J, that CJ Stroud had, I think, raised the stakes for that. I mean, you're already going to have nerves going into your first college game as a true freshman. I don't care who it's against. You're the, the pressure's on to perform. But if, if C.J. Stroud had just really smoked people through those first three games, and he kind of had early on, like he was winning Big Ten freshman of the week and whatnot. But like if there hadn't been that kernel of question in people's minds yeah. about C.J. Stroud, then I think Kyle McCord would have had an easier time against Akron. But I also thought he probably felt that moment like, oh, if I come out here and, and, and go laser show, who's starting a quarterback next week? The question, you know, that question's going to have to be out there. He could force that question. And that wasn't really realistically where anybody was at. CJ Stroud was better than what he had been against Tulsa, but the injury was holding him back. And Comicord wasn't quite ready to take that shot yet. So we found that out through the Akron game. But I also think we we didn't find out that Comicord can't be a good quarterback for Ohio State or, or plenty of other teams. But I would still, if, if you need someone, and Ohio State might, you never know what's going to happen with CJ Stroud. Ohio State might need another quarterback who can win games for them this year. And I would rather have McCord than Allar for this year. So I, if I was Ohio State, I would not do that trade this year. Well, but if you're making the trade, you're making the trade. So, like, I mean, then we can, oh, of course. Then you, okay. then you don't so, make the trade, yeah. But then Kyle McCord's older. Are we trading him or not? Because you get all of him. Like, that's the thing. It's like, well, of course. I mean, I, of course. I, I, I know what you're saying. Kyle McCord has been in college, and Drew Aller hasn't. I think Drew Aller, I just thought Drew Aller had a great year and I think has come a long way mm. as a prospect. And so I'm sure. not, this is not a shot at Kyle McCord no. at all. I think Kyle McCord's good. I do. But I, I'd take Drew Aller for his college career. I respect it. Drew Aller had a really good senior year, but Kyle McCord's been doing what Drew Aller did this past year for the past four years of, well, high school. Like, he did that every year at a nationally prominent program. I, the, the Kyle McCord story is an interesting one, and I'm I'm curious how it's going to play out here these next couple of years because his his standing 
and probably how he would evaluate what's coming next has really flopped around a little bit. And I think there's a big opportunity for him next year. It's just a matter of how patient can you be at this stage and what would be a better um, opportunity, even if you decided to, to look somewhere else. I, I don't know, but I think he's in a good spot for 2023 and, and maybe Ohio State is too, but we'll see how it plays out. And in terms of J.J. McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy's sitting out spring with a tired arm, so that's not yep. that's not his fault necessarily, but it's not great. Is he third? Just because it was brought up in the text, like regardless of where you put C.J. and Kyle McCord, would you take both of those two over J.J. McCarthy? And not C.J. I'm sorry, Drew Aller, Kyle McCord, J.J. McCarthy is McCarthy third. I mean, he was clearly third to Ryan Day because uh, he chose Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy, which J.J. Yeah. has told Ari how pissed off he was about that, but I don't, I still think if I, maybe I'm being too much Ryan day and thinking too much in the moment here and not thinking long-term, but I, I got to win games in 2022. I want McCarthy over Aller. Yeah, but I that's not, I mean, Aller. but that's just based on experience. That's just cause he's a year old. Yeah. Let's, let's not think about 20. Like who would you, whose career would you take? We get it. We'd take the older guy. Would you rather have JJ McCarthy or Drew Aller for your program? For the, the time rather. of their career. I think I would still take McCarthy. Over Aller. Yeah. You'd go McCord. You would go McCord, McCarthy, Aller in yes. terms of careers that you would take. Yes. yes. Okay. I'd, I'd go McCord, Aller, uh, McCarthy. And I think I'd go Aller, McCord, McCarthy. But they're all five-star quarterbacks. Right. What a great yeah. conversation for the Big Ten. Yahoo. For real. Yeah. No, Good it's like it's at the most at the three at the three most prominent programs in the Big Ten. So, yeah, it's about time. Wrapping things up here from the six one four, the worst road trip all three of you have been on. I don't think they're asking the worst road trip that we've all been on together, oh. which is like a tie for all of them, right? No, uh, which with the worst road trip that we've been on in our careers? Stephen, do you have one that? Comes to the top of the list in my career or in my life because those are two different. I'm thinking. I think they're asking. Well, I think they're asking professional <laughs> road trips. That's the way I took it. Worst road trip covering a game, covering an event. Michigan State. No, okay, no. It's definitely the Illinois game, and it's literally just because I just pulled up to my hotel as the game was getting canceled. So I made a oh. six-hour drive for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And I was in the, and it's only a bad thing because I was thinking, because the game was at 3 30. And so I'm thinking, what if I don't go tonight? What if I just get up at like 4 30 and then I drive tomorrow? And if I'd have just done that, I wouldn't have had to make the drive. But yeah, it's definitely that one. And I can't remember why we went that night because we didn't necessarily need to. It's no, just the champagne's a bit of a drive. You're yeah. talking about like six hours. So I guess that's why. And that's we a did long it. day. I beat you to champagne by about a, a half hour, I think, that night. But I had had to stop several times. You had to stop because I don't remember what the first thing was. The second thing, we find out Ryan Day has COVID. You got to stop and yeah. post that and text that. I mean, there were like three or four different times where I had to pull over and, and write things on that trip home to uh, Champaign. And I was supposed to have seen – it was Thanksgiving weekend. I was supposed to have seen my parents because we're like you know 40 minutes away. But we had already decided we weren't going to do that because of COVID. So, uh, yeah, it was a whole – it wasn't – a. I don't have fond memories of that trip either. I don't think I'd put it as my worst though. There was a year when I covered basketball where I was going to fly from Midway. 
I lived in, in, in Indiana, obviously. I was going to fly from midway out of Chicago to Pittsburgh because you couldn't fly direct from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh, but you could fly southwest direct from midway, and it wasn't that far. So I was going to make that, but they canceled that. It was for like a Wednesday game. They canceled that flight on a Monday because of a winter storm. So I had to reschedule and fly through somewhere down south a day early. And then two different flights coming home got canceled. Like I had to stay at one of them where like we got on the plane, we're ready to take off. And then the captain makes an announcement. And then like a half hour later, they come get you off the plane and tell you your connection's not going to happen. Like, so just a, a two day road trip that took like five days is one that stands out to me. Big 10 basketball, man. Winter travel in Big Ten basketball is fraught. I had a time when I was covering Ohio State basketball at Wisconsin and like got snowed in at the airport and everybody was running to get rental cars. And I wound up splitting a rental car with a stranger and driving from Madison to Chicago and getting on a flight in Chicago. And it was like, oh, we're driving together and we don't know each other. So that was interesting. Um, Probably the worst because I never lived it down is when Ohio State lost to Dayton in basketball in the first round in Buffalo in 2014, Ari and I covered it and we had a rental car and I wasn't paying attention on the drive home and we ran out of gas. <laughs> so we ran out of gas on the side of the road and we got picked up by this guy, very friendly guy. And he drove us to a gas station. He was telling us stories and he said he used to like lay concrete as his job. And so his pores were filled and i i'm gonna not get the different i I get cement and concrete mixed up and i know they're different but he had like cement in his pores because he had worked around it so much and so like he had trouble sweating and things like that and he was just telling us stories about this so we got picked up by a guy who had concrete in his pores who drove us to a gas station drove us back we put gas in the car and then you know, at that point in time, that was an era where I still was like, Ari, Ari, you got to do this. You got to do that. And then I just lost all hand because Ari would always be like, well, at least I didn't run out of gas on the side of the road. And I was like, why did I let that happen? I lost. I, there was nothing I could say to Ari for his rest of the rest of his tenure at Cleveland.com because I let us run out of gas on the way home from Buffalo. So that, that running out of gas. Hey, I've run out of gas, I think, three times in my life. Stuff happens. But that it gave Ari the edge on me made it horrible. That, that is the truly brutal part of it. It's one thing if you're just going to be late or it costs you another, a couple extra dollars or whatever. But when, when someone gets to lord something over you like that, you never. Especially when it's, when it's Ari who gets to lord it over you. Uh, the worst. To this day, I think he is probably still. I'm sure he gets to bring that up whenever he wants to. If he's listening, Ari, miss you, man. Hope everything's good in Texas. Did you guys both fill out your brackets already? No. Haven't touched it. I am neck deep in Deshaun Watson. So until that gets sorted out, yeah. I have no, I have not thought about my bracket for half a second. So uh, the Browns are releasing half their team and pursuing Deshaun Watson. And it is an interesting couple days of NFL free agency at this point. It's been weird. I'm not really going to fill out a bracket mood. I'm going to just cover this Ohio State basketball team and see how far it takes me mood. Well, it's a terrible mood to be in, but, you know, it is what it is. Hopefully Doug and Steven fill out brackets so 
we can find out who has bragging rights on the pod, but also you guys get to compete against us. Those of you who are texters and are getting oh, in yeah. on the bracket bonanza that we're doing this year, it's a Yahoo thing. So if you're, um, if you already have a Yahoo bracket, you get to just drag it over. It's really easy. But I, again, I will send that link out again, Thursday morning so that anybody who wants to still get in can do that for Doug Lamarice for Stephen means that was Buckeye talk.